I'm Rachel, for those of you who I haven't met before. Um, I'm going to talk a bit first, and then we'll watch this video. So this famous story that Justina um, read to us so wonderfully about Paul and Silas's escape from prison is a great example of God's faithfulness and deliverance, similar to those where Daniel was rescued from the lions and the Israelites were led safely through the Red Sea. It'd be really tempting to write a, a talk based on this, but tonight I want to try to focus on the story from a different angle. I'd like us to walk through it and to try to pull out some of the characteristics that Paul and Silas demonstrate. Paul's not perfect, but he is one of the founding figures of the early church, and there's a lot that we can learn from the way that he follows Christ. But first of all, I'd just like you to watch this three-minute video. Excellent. Thank you very much. Sorry to have to make everyone watch that. It's quite awkward to watch, isn't it? You kind of think, oh, cringe. I don't really want to have to watch that. Um, Let me just sort this out. So, um, many of you um, might be familiar with this term that psychologists use. It's called the bystander effect. And this is the notion that in society we, are, we arrange ourselves naturally into groups. And in this example, there's two groups. There's the people that walk by, and the majority of people were in that group. And then there are the people that engage with the victim. And the theory goes that by nature, a lot of us want to be involved but we can't bring ourselves to be the first one in the group that intervenes. You'll notice that in that last example, there was a lady who was dithering at the side, and as soon as somebody else got involved, she was there too, but she didn't want to be the first person to step out into that group. And this is really to try to illustrate my first point, which is that I think that Paul and Silas teach us that as Christians, we have responsibility to engage and initiate in difficult situations. This goes against human nature, but often the consequence, as you can see there, is a good thing, because that person was in need and needed help. So my first point, if I could just have the the slide, that would be fantastic, is that Paul and Silas were unafraid to be proactive. At the beginning of the passage, if you've got your Bible and you want to turn to it, um, in verse 16, it says that there's a female slave who is wandering in the streets and shouting out. Um, She's obviously disturbed in some way. She's making a noise. And the scene, I imagine, would have been uncomfortable for those people that were there. All of us will have been in a situation where somebody's behaving in a socially abnormal way, and we generally find this quite unsettling. But look what Paul does in verse 18. It says, he becomes so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. Now, I'm not saying that forcefully casting out demons in this public way is necessarily what we should seek to do. However, the notion that Paul is proactive is something that really challenges me. He is unafraid to engage with someone who everybody else is ignoring. Psychologists would say that he is the one who initiates the new group and goes to engage. The story of the Good Samaritan holds the same challenge. Will you be the proactive person who goes to the victim, or will you be the person who averts their eyes, crosses the road, and pretends that nothing's happening? It might not even be that somebody is suffering, but rather you might find yourself in a situation where something is happening that you think is wrong. Maybe... Uh, somebody is behaving antisocially on the tube or maybe somebody blasphemes in front of you at a dinner party and you feel like you should do something 
but you haven't really got that proaction to do it. That's because it is really uncomfortable. I was on my way to Wix the other day. We're doing quite a lot of DIY on my house at the moment. And I was walking from my house up to Wix. And in the small park on the way, there was a group of teenagers there. And um, they were all gathered around these two boys who must have been aged maybe 11 or 12. And the boys were uh, literally about to start a fight. And there were lots of people around the outside going, fight, 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 fight. And um, I was just walking by, minding my own business. But I felt like it was not right for me to physically intervene, but it was right for me to stop and to watch. And I wonder, maybe it's because I'm a teacher, I've kind of practiced the whole, I'm watching you, look. Um, And so I just stood there. They were maybe about 10, 15 metres away from me. And I just stood there like this and watched them. And after about 10 seconds, a few of the people who were around the outside of these boys just started to go, that lady is looking at us. She's looking. That lady's looking at us. And then another, a few other boys in the crowd said, just leave it. We should leave it. That lady's looking at us. And then within about half a minute, the whole thing had dispersed and maybe somebody was saved the bloodied nose. So I didn't actually have to engage physically in that situation, but the fact that I stopped and I watched and I would have been prepared to engage was something that I've never really done in all the time that I've lived in London, but I was the person who initiated the new group, who said, I will be proactive in this situation to try to stop something bad happening. It's really uncomfortable and it's really hard to do, but I think that Paul and Silas challenge us here that as Christians, we have to be genuinely proactive in some difficult situations we might find ourselves in. Secondly, after Paul and Silas have been locked up, they, you'll notice, are unafraid to praise. That's my second point. In verses 22 and 23, you can see how much they've been punished for their faith. They've been stripped, they've been beaten with rods, they've been severely flogged, they're thrown into prison, and then they're put in stocks. So they haven't really had an easy time of it. You'd think that by this point they'd just give up and say, okay, let's just pray silently now. This is a bit scary. But when they're in their prison cell, what they decide to do is to pray out and to sing out, making it clear to everybody in the other cells that they are followers of Christ. And remarkably, it seems to be that it's this act of kind of determined praise that causes the violent earthquake that follows. We live in a world where it's much easier to do things quietly, to try to reflect our faith in a way that's subtle rather than declaring the name of the Lord. The other day, a Sikh friend of um, ours called Anud came for dinner. And ordinarily in our house, we would always say grace before we eat. But it was getting very late, and I was quite ratty. I was quite ratty, actually, that evening, wasn't I? I was really ready to eat. And we were all sat down around the table. I thought, you know what? It would just be easier just to start eating. Because I know that if we say grace, it will be a bit awkward, because he's not a Christian, and blah, blah, blah. So I just started to eat, because I thought, if I start, every, you know, everyone else will join in, and it will be fine. And Anuj, who is not a Christian in any way, stopped and said, What are you doing? You can't eat. We haven't said grace. We always say grace at your house. I sort of dropped my fork. And um, 
I thought, gosh, that's really embarrassing. I've been challenged by someone who's very not, who'd say he's really not a Christian for not saying grace. And, and then we had to say grace. And he was like, that's better. This is how it works in your house. <laughs> and um, it reminded me that whilst I had said a quick thank you to God in my head, it had so much more power when I actually said it out loud. And equally, in times of stress or difficulty, there's something very powerful about praying out and singing out. And I believe that there's loads of examples in the Bible where that happens. Um, you remember in Joshua, where um, the Israelites are marching around Jericho and waiting for the walls to fall down, and they're singing and they're playing their instruments, and that has great, great power. Genuine praise can lead to extraordinary consequences, and I think it's something that we're challenged to do. You don't need a band to do that. You don't need an iPod. You don't need an instrument. You can just use your voice. Um, And I'm challenged by this because I think often when I'm in a difficult situation, I don't pray out and I don't sing out. Um, And I think that we can be inspired by what Paul and Silas do here. They're determined that even though it might be a bit embarrassing, they do keep on praising. Thirdly, um, Paul and Silas are unafraid to profess. I don't know about you, but when I read this story, I always think, okay, the earthquake's just happened, the cell has crumbled, why don't you just get out of there? If it was me, I would want to go home. But rather, in verse 31, Paul hangs around and has a conversation with the jailer. This is like, I don't know, having a conversation with a parking attendant when they've just put a ticket on your car. You don't really want to engage with the person at that point in time, let alone have some sort of God conversation with them. These figures of authority are not people that we really want to spend time with. But Paul sees an opportunity here for him to profess, to speak out the gospel. And this consequently changes this man's life. It says this man and his family then became followers of Christ. He doesn't just beat about the bush. The man says, what do I need to do? He says, believe in the Lord and you will be saved. Admittedly, maybe then they would have had to have asked him to Alpha or something to kind of answer all of his deep and meaningful questions. But in the here and then, just saying you need to believe in the name of the Lord was what needed to be said. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the ways in which we profess. And I think sometimes we feel as though we have to say, believe in the name of the Lord to somebody. But actually, there's loads of different ways that we can share with people our faith and also share with them all the exciting things that are going on inside our church. A couple of teachers at my school recently got engaged. Um, I don't know them, really. haven't really spoken to them before. But um, I just dropped them an email a couple of weeks ago to say, this is a link to a church website The church runs a great course called the Marriage Preparation Course. My husband and I went on that course, and it was great, and it's really helped us in our marriage. It might be something that you want to think about. And this then led to a conversation where they came to my classroom and said, oh, thanks for your email. Can you tell us a little bit more about this marriage course? Sounds a bit weird, but (laughs) if it helped you out, then we'd be interested in finding out more. So in a very small way not at all as full-on as Paul's way, but in a small way, it was a profession of my faith and an opportunity for me to strike up a friendship with them and share with them a little bit about me and my faith. You know, if only I had this confidence more often, if only all of us had that ability just to, in small ways, drip-feed our faith to others. And I encourage you this week to maybe look for an opportunity to profess. 
Maybe you could offer to pray with a friend or a colleague. Maybe you could invite them to church. You saw there on St. Paul's News all the amazing stuff that's going on. Maybe just drop someone an email and ask them if they'd like to join in. Maybe we could be creative in thinking about new ways to do that. And finally, my um, favorite part of the story, my final point, is that Paul and Silas are unafraid to provoke Right at the end of the story, again, rather than just leave in peace, Paul actually demands an apology from the Roman officials for locking him up. Okay, let's just get this straight. So the Roman officials have, I'll read it again, stripped them, beaten them with rods, severely flogged them, put them in stocks. And at the end, he says, can you apologize, please, for what you just did to me? Which is just, again, like, he's just unafraid to get the right outcome. He says in verse 37, they beat us publicly without a trial and threw us into prison. And now they want us to go quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. I love that bit of the story. And as I was reflecting on it, it made me think about the interaction we have um, with our leaders. How often does our cynicism with either national or work politics lead us to a place of inaction where we believe that we'll never change anything, so why bother to stand up and be counted? But Paul here holds the Roman officials accountable. And I think we have a real responsibility as Christians to sometimes provoke those that are in authority to do the right thing. One of my personal heroes is um, a woman called Josephine Butler, who was a social reformer during the Victorian times. And she was a Christian feminist, and she took on the authorities about issues that, at the time, nobody else was talking about. In the 1850s, the age of consent for sex was 13. And Josephine Butler, who was inspired by her faith, repeatedly said that this was wrong. She said that many girls were being effectively raped and that this was within the law. She said this was out of order and that she felt that the law should change. So Josephine Butler travelled around the whole of the UK and she spoke out against this law. And she was severely criticised, as you can imagine. Firstly, because she was a woman with opinions, and that wasn't really allowed in Victorian times. And secondly, because she was a woman with an opinion about a topic that you shouldn't really have talked about in Victorian times. Yet she went on and on and on. And by 1885, a law was passed by the British government that raised the age of consent from 13 to 16. And it's the same law that we have today, because she would not let it go. She was unafraid to say, my faith informs me that this is wrong, therefore I'm going to provoke those in authority to try to do something about it. And I think that when the Roman officials come to try to appease Paul in verse 39, I wonder if actually they might have apologised too. Maybe there's something that's going on in your workplace or amongst your wider family that you think is wrong. And you feel like you should voice an opinion on it, but you feel like it would be too provocative. I just encourage you here to look at Paul's example and consider again what your response might be. Just as I finish, right at the end in verse 40, you'll see it says, And Paul and Silas came out of prison and they went to Lydia's house where they met with the believers and encouraged them. So let's just imagine that we are all at Lydia's house. 
We're all sat around sharing some food. And Paul and Silas crash through the door. And they say, you never guess what happened. We got arrested. All this stuff happened to us. We got put in jail. And then we sang to God. And then there was this earthquake and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. But then they begin to say the story in a little bit more depth. And they say, well, actually, before that all happened, we were quite proactive. And we tried to cast this demon out, this woman. And then when we were in prison, we praised to God. And, and then, actually, before we left, we actually professed to the jailer. And he turned to Christ, which was amazing. And then, right at the end, we got the Romans to apologize because we provoked them. And they tell this whole story. And you think, wow, Paul and Silas, well done you. And... Probably, if you're anything like me, you'd be sat around that table and you'd be thinking, gosh, in comparison, I am so rubbish. (laughs) I don't do any of those things. And I genuinely feel like God's message for us tonight is that all of us, in a small way, can respond to situations like this. But we just have to pray for some confidence. Um... And I think that God calls you today, God calls me today to step out and say, do you know what, God, I'm really not like Paul and Silas at the moment, but I'd really like to be a bit more like them, and I'd really like you to give me that sort of confidence. I'd just like the band to come back up. If everyone could just stand, that would be great. Thanks.